0: Hey, Kara. What are you doing? Tooting my sonic screwdriver? That sounds fun. It's not. Well, you know what is fun? Juggling goslings? No. Then what? Watching Dr. Horrible and Serenity on the big screen? Oh, yeah, that is fun. Glad you think so, because Sparky, you'll get your chance Saturday, August 20th at the Hollywood Theater. Who's Sparky? There will also be a raffle and special guest Patrick Reynolds, the artist on the Serenity comic Float Out.
1: That sounds way better than finishing my latest Twilight fan fiction.
0: Cause it is. To raise money for Equality Now, as well as the Oregon Humane Society and National Alliance on Mental Illness.
2: Everyone should be doing that.
0: We'll also be accepting in-kind donations for Raphael House, a women's shelter. So you better make sure to get your tickets. All you have to do is visit pdxbrowncoats.com. Tickets are $12 in advance and $15 day up. You can even order a t-shirt while you're there. When is it again? Saturday, August 20th at Hollywood Theater on Northeast Sandy in Portland. Doors mm-hmm. open at 7. Should I wear anything special? No, but for the love of ham radio, leave the tin hat at home.
1: Attention, everyone. This is an emergency
2: broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high
3: as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible.
1: out of Tokyo Bay.
3: We begin the attack on Earth now.
0: We persuaded the thing
3: to help you. With what little power it has left.
0: They're
4: going to control you now. Welcome to another phantasmagorical episode of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. This is episode 38 and the Kaiju Discussion show for July 2011. We're talking about Godzilla 2000 today and uh Heather is joining me here in the studio to help me out with news and discussion stuff. Hello. And uh, before we get started with all that, we're going to go ahead and play some uh, monster music, starting actually with something that's a little less than than Godzilla music. This is Sad Ultron from Adam Warrock.
3: Gather round, kids. Here's a story about a sad little robot. It's like Ultron, Ultron, he's so bad. All he really wants to do is try to please his dad. He's so misunderstood, people. it's just a nice dude, people need to believe uh-huh. It was only a matter of time before I was recreated with a version that missed the point of all the other eyes. The other E's Quite the same, Cause when my version was made, they messed up the mainframe, hey! Instead of anger, all I'm feeling is sad And instead of hating my dad, all I want to be is a simple ad Play catch, maybe go share a brew But everybody is running away from me, including you! Man, who are you to judge me by the color of my skin? This adamantium shimmers not the rest within And just because when I raise my hands to say hi Lightning crackles out and kills everyone close by Oh my man, look, I didn't mean it I'm trying to understand books like The Secret. I really wish they didn't make my eyes so angry and all I wanna do is have dinner with my family. Ultron, like, oh, Ultron, oh, he's so bad. All he really wants to do is try to please his dad. He's so misunderstood, people think that he's evil, but he's just a nice dude, people need to believe him. I can't atone for the sins of every other cyborg with my same name, cause I ain't him. Just the other day I saw Try to give him a pound Give me the cold shoulder Turn the other way around Come on dog. This is robot I'm robot hate I thought we squashed the beef Cause I'm just trying to relate And all the other cyborgs Keep me off their cyborg games While I just sit here in the corner And feel ashamed I'm model 66 Version 8. we A chance to. Be- Happily ever after.
4: So before we get into our Daikaiju discussion for this month, I just want to talk about the music a little bit. We kicked that off with a track from an artist named Adam Warrock, and uh, it's a song called Sad Ultron. And the reason I played it, because uh, if you listen to the words, it has nothing to do with Godzilla. It has to do with Ultron, which is a Marvel villain. Um, but the the music behind it, the track, uh, is actually from an original Ifukube godzilla song from the very first movie and it's just like a tiny little snippet that gets kind of repeated over and over again and the first time i heard it i was like i know what this is from wait a minute i know what this is this is this is uh this is a godzilla song this is hurting my brain yeah yeah. so i actually i went and uh, figured it out and i i asked um adam if i could play that on the on the show and he said it was cool and i should mention that it's uh by adam warrock and dale chase Let's talk about Adam Warrock. So yes. Adam, I I hesitate to call him a nerdcore rapper, but that's kind of what he is. And we got to see him in, uh, in Seattle this year at Emerald yes. City Comic Con. We, uh,
2: we just sort of on a whim decided to go and check out uh, Kirby Crackle and Adam Warrock playing and uh, not heard either before. But um, And we, we sadly didn't get to see all of Adam's set, but what we did see was just really impressive and uh, and the guy just really puts it all out there on stage and is a lot of fun yeah um, i
4: came in at the very end of that set yeah and i was i was like oh this is interesting oh it's over um but he's got a lot of free music available on his website yes. and i'll have a link to that in the show notes of course
2: yes and uh and while i don't think he's doing a lot of touring right now he doesn't have anything listed on the site he did recently have a very exciting announcement for for him and uh, and for fans of nerd nerdcore nerd rap nerd rock all all of the above uh, nerdy but, music yes but he is going to be one of the opening acts on the MC Chris Race Wars Fall Tour along with MC Lars and Random A.K. Megaran. No dates or cities listed yet, but it's going to be a lengthy tour over September and October.
4: Awesome. Well. Uh, hopefully they'll make it to Portland, and we will go see you. They better make it to Portland. Yeah, man. Uh, anyway, he wanted to know when the the show went on on, so when it went online. So this is it.
2: Well, I just told him that it was that it was happening right now. So
4: yeah, he's on Twitter, and he's got a Facebook page, and yes, all that stuff. We won't good try. Stuff. We
2: won't try and explain his his Twitter his Twitter handle to you. It'll all just be linked.
4: And all be linked. Uh, so find it all. Then after, after Adam Warrock's song, uh, I played a song called Rebirth of Varan by Akira Fukube. And I played that for Jason because he requested the main title track. And unfortunately, I just played that a couple of months ago. Um, personally, I kind of like this one a little bit more. So hope that works, Jason. Long live Varan indeed. And then we followed that up with the main titles from Son of Godzilla by Masaro Sato for Roger. Uh, Now, if you'll please turn your attention to the chalkboard, because once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju Discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, guaranteeing that the podcast is going to continue for a long, long time. This month's assignment was to watch and comment on the 1999 Toho-produced Godzilla 2000. We screened this here at the KaijuCast headquarters the other night, and in addition to watching the film with Tiger, Cindy, Heather, and Justin, we were also live-tweeting with our, uh, our viewing with another group of Twitheads called the Drive-In Mob. It was a lot of fun, and I want to give a special shout-out to all the people who contributed to that hashtag. Way to go, people. I'm not going to name them all. That would take too long.
2: There were a lot of them.
4: Uh, I will have a link in the show notes to that Twitter search in case anybody wants to sort of review it for, for, uh, you know, posterity. Giggles. (laughs) It It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of trash talk, but it was cool. Godzilla 2000 was directed by Takao Okawara, who also directed the 1992 Godzilla vs. Mothra, the 1993 Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and the 1995 Godzilla vs. Destroya. This was clearly Toho's response to the TriStar Godzilla film, and it was the only Godzilla film to be widely distributed to the American theaters after Godzilla 1985. So without any other delays, let's hear how that went down. So joining me tonight in the KaijuCast Studio headquarters... Theater, etc. We have Cindy, Heather, and Justin. And uh, we just finished watching Godzilla 2000, which um, uh, I was just saying that it has been a very long time since I've seen this film because uh, for the longest time, I did not have it on DVD. It was one of those movies that uh, when it was released on DVD, I kind of boycotted it because they had promised that it was going to have Japanese sub uh, Japanese language and English subtitles and they did not do that and I was really mad and pissy about it so I just said screw it and I didn't buy it Uh, and then when uh, Blockbuster Hollywood video were closing down I I basically uh, I picked it up so it's been like a long time since I've seen the dubbed version and now I've seen it again I I remember seeing it in theaters when it came out and I was very happy that it, it was in theaters Um, But it's a very lackluster film and uh, kind of bittersweet for a Godzilla fan who, you know, wanted something really amazing coming off the heels of the TriStar film from 1998. Justin, you have the microphone. What were your initial thoughts on on this film?
5: Uh, It it was kind of unexciting. It's, uh, I don't know, it it felt... uh, too long, too short. I don't know. Something, something was missing. I, I, this won't go down as one of my favorite Godzilla movies I've watched, which is now four or five. So, and the, did you, uh, did you like
4: the story being sort of fresh and sort of a clean slate? Uh, so
5: you didn't have to worry about continuity in quotation marks. I'm a comic book nerd, so I love continuity. Uh, so I, I don't, the fresh slate just always feels weird to me. And I asked about that at the beginning, if this was, you know, a continuity its own continuity or if it was continuing something else. And I, uh, I, I like, I like trilogies and I like, Quadrologies or whatever they're called. And Quadrologies? Yeah. Quadrilogies? Quadrilogies. Quadro. Yeah. Quato. <laughs>
1: Quato. Uh
4: And so it's just to reiterate what I said during the during the movie is that basically this, this film started the Millennium Series and also started the, the first time that the Godzilla films were just, every single one was pretty much a, a direct sequel to the 1954 film. Obviously Godzilla 1984 did that as well, ignoring the entire Showa series, but then was followed up by direct sequel after direct sequel. And so the Shinsei or Millennium series that this one um, fired off didn't, didn't do that at all. And we basically see a fresh look at Godzilla every single film with uh, one exception, which is, you know, four years from this film, three years from this film.
2: That seems like a really confusing concept to me. They, it seems like if they're trying to draw in, I don't know. It, it in a sense, I get you know. Oh, let's draw in new, you know, new people, people who haven't been interested in it before. But I think that that actually might be something that would stand more to. The, have have more have more of an interest for actual, like, honest Godzilla fans that are gonna see it no matter what, see everything, as opposed to somebody who's just stepped up to the plate and gone, Oh, Godzilla and then right. they go, Oh, another Godzilla Wait, this doesn't make any sense with the movie that I saw last and and so the, the 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 clean slate each time sort of sort of seems a little a little strange to me. I mean I can I can appreciate it from a creator perspective as just wanting to not have to worry about everything else that has happened, but it but it did seem a little it does seem a little odd to me. Um, I I also wasn't really really thrilled with this movie. I prefer I prefer my Godzilla's to be smashing models and going up against tiny little tanks as opposed to a guy walking in place in front of a blue screen green screen what have you and right. and having scenery roll past him and awkward buildings set up on a screen behind him and that that sort of thing it was uh, that that was rather disappointing to me
4: yeah I so just to uh, talk about the the history of, of Godzilla films for just a little bit um, in the the Heisei era which was 1984 through 1995 um, attendance at Godzilla movies had had seen a fairly steady decline and um, when they killed Godzilla in the 95 film and took the break so that Tristar could make their version of the, of Godzilla. Uh, what they ended up doing was, I guess sort of, they looked at what, what was working, what wasn't working. And they were saying, okay, well, do we need continuity? What are we going to do? It definitely is like a gimmick. Let's try and wipe the slate clean again and see if we can get in some new people. And uh, I was just reading that in this series, this new series that starts from Godzilla 2000, uh, they were really aiming at women and young kids with uh, doing some double features with some animated characters as well. And uh, just, they were trying everything in their playbook to get more people into the theater and sell, sell uh, tickets to Godzilla. And I don't think that in the end it really worked, which is why attendance in general since the 90s has been, since the 80s, really, has just been on the decline.
2: Well, not to completely off track from Godzilla, but just sort of comparison. I mean, we've got a lot going on. Justin says, you know, comic book nerd here. We've got a lot going on with comic books and clean slates and and that right now. And, and, uh, And I think that Godzilla is kind of one of those. I mean, he's sort of like Superman or Batman or... I mean I think people know his story. I think people know his background. I don't think you really need to I, I don't think you need to say well we need a fresh start because people don't understand what got what this Godzilla guy is about. I mean I think ultimately people kind of get what Godzilla is. So I don't know that you really, you know, I mean you could just have him doing stuff. You don't have to have it be like a whole new a whole new thing every time.
4: Right. And, and a lot of the films are standalone. I mean, even the older ones where there is uh, some, you know, semblance of continuity, a lot of the films are, you could just go watch Godzilla versus the Sea Monster and you don't have to know what happens in Godzilla versus Monster Zero, although I pity you if that's the first, you know, experience you have watching Godzilla. Womp Wah-wah. womp But uh, even though I love that movie. Um, so, Cindy, did you, did you get to
1: see this in the theaters when it came out? Actually, no, I didn't.
4: I, what is your excuse? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I just remember hearing about it and I was all upon it.
1: I can't even remember why I didn't see it in the theater, but I I remember when you said which one we were watching, I tried to remember what it was about. And I'm thinking, okay, I think I remember it. I looked at the poster. It didn't ring a bell. Then Tiger said, oh, it's the one with the suit with three spines with the purple on it. I'm like, oh, that one. Okay.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So, uh, what were your thoughts of watching this one? I mean, when was the last time you saw it?
1: It's been a long time.
4: So does it yeah. does it hold up for you, or did you did you have a have any fond fond memories of, of this? I probably film?
1: didn't have a lot of fond memories about it. So it was almost as if I was seeing it for the first time because it didn't ring a lot of bells. Uh, when I saw the rock slash spaceship rising up out of the water, I'm like, okay, now I remember this one. Now I remember one of those bits. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> uh, but it, it is not one of my favorites. So.
4: Yeah, I have to say that uh, in general, I, I thought I was going to be a little more pleased with watching Godzilla 2000 but a lot of those composite and digital effects just really the did not deliver. It
1: seemed so okay compared to what we see now. Seemed so rough. It's like you can tell seriously when it is a blue screen. And yeah. it just kind of grates on you.
4: Well there are there are some very specific scenes that I was shocked that the, and I guess we're going to sort of, let's go backwards. We'll do like what we didn't like. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about what we didn't like and then hopefully turn it around for some stuff that we did like in the film. I know I have some positive things to say about it, but as far as bad, the bad, um, the effects work is, is takes the top slate for that. The the digital effects, stuff like the compositing, uh, the green screen. I was very surprised. Uh, there's a There's a shot of, Katagiri standing on, uh, I think he's either on a bridge of a, or, um, I think he's on a bridge or he's on a boat and the scene behind him is blue screened and it just looked so fake and there, there were no effects in there. There was one when they were, there was one when they were in the, uh,
2: they, um, they. Were, I forget what building they were in now. I wanted to say it was the news building, but I don't.
4: Yeah, I don't, it was the news building. Yeah, in yeah, the, news the news building, news that
2: there was there was something in the background that I, I couldn't even figure out what it was supposed to be. I mean, it just was some sort of.
4: I think it was un, just the city.
2: Well, right, but it looked like it was some sort of you know malformed rock or so. I mean, it looked it. it yeah, it looked. It, I don't know. It looked like somebody had just taken it, going, "Oh, there's you know somebody that didn't sponsor us, their name on it or something." So let's just scrub that out. I mean, the whole oh, thing was really? just blurry and just aw- I mean, it just looked. Yeah, it was. It just looked. It looked terrible. I mean, there was there was the building buildings bad, and then there was that thing, and yeah. I I don't know what it was, and it was upsetting to me.
4: Well, the the like I said, the anytime you they had like composite stuff going on with some small exceptions, um there was when we were talking during the movie and there was a shot of Godzilla that you said, what is he just walking in front of a green screen? And I said, yeah, but there's going to be some, some real stuff later. And uh, then the following shot was him on the beach coming towards the tanks, which did not look that bad, but it still didn't look awesome. You still sort of
2: got the impression of, him just walking on a treadmill, though. I mean, it looked like he was traveling, but not traveling. As far as he was sort of moving, but staying in one
4: spot, still. Yeah, I think Toho did have a lot of um, struggles when they were trying to make this film. Uh, they were trying to do it on a much—I don't want to say a smaller budget than the Heisei film. I will talk a little bit later uh, during the um, during the user submissions because someone asked specifically about budgets uh, for this film. Uh, <clears throat> But I don't think that they. I think they. It's almost like they spent all their money on a, on a certain amount of things, and then they weren't able to execute other effects as well. It kind of reminds me of of Latitude Zero, specifically in that respect, where like some of the effects were pretty well done, and other ones were just like jaw-droppingly bad for the time.
2: They pretty much saved their pennies for a specific thing that they felt was important to focus on, and then yeah. the rest was sort of an afterthought.
4: Yeah, like, we blew our budget on this CGI stuff that doesn't hold up in, you know, right. t- you know, 10 years or whatever.
2: Right. It, it is one of, I, I was struck because, you know, knowing when this film came out, uh, I have recently watched some other movies that, you know, not Godzilla movies, and I just, you know, won't bother naming any names, but I've watched other movies that came out about the same time you know either 99 or 2000 lately that i'd been kind of concerned going into it going oh i haven't watched this since it came out is this really going to be this is going to be really awkward isn't it with the with the effects and everything and it and it wasn't and it's just amazing to me to see the difference in the quality and the effects and cgi between that and
4: this well they were talking at uh, geek trivia one of the questions was uh which of these movies didn't come out in 1999 and the ones they rattled off were like Blade, which was was not nineteen ninety nine, was ninety eight. Blade, uh, the Matrix, and there were a couple more in there. But I was, I mean, if you want to sort of time frame it, this is this is the same year that the Matrix H- came H- Happy out. Happy
5: Tree Friends? No, no, that wasn't
4: one, one of them. That South was Park. not one. <laughs> was oh, South, South Park, South Park, South That's Park all right. was one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Justin, did you? I mean, there's choose choose just
5: a little bit of bad to to talk about here i i i I can i can deal with bad cgi and bad effects and crappy blue screens i i love me some bad horror movies but uh uh, what i didn't like was the story story didn't feel very engaging i didn't really care about any of the characters you know the most entertaining person was uh what kitty Kitty kio EO the little girl? No, category. no. No, ca- I like Katagiri. Oh, cate- Katagiri because he had a he had this this evil this evil laugh, and uh, <laughs> he it, also has
4: those <laughs> big giant eyebrows too. Yeah,
5: uh, but uh, yeah, no, I I just I didn't care about anyone in the movie. I was just you know it was just dragging on until it the, got, the Godzilla the monster versus monster. I, I, maybe it could do had to do with the dubbing, but I don't know. I just wasn't. I didn't like the story.
4: I think the evil laugh definitely was, was probably a little more on the dubbing side. I
2: just I just mentioned the dubbing because there was moments in there that I felt like this is why you don't get the same effect from dubbing as people actually interacting on the screen together. Because, For example, when well, this shows how much I was engaged in it. What was the little girl's name again? Eo. Eo. When she was trying to run into the building to save her father and she's being held back and just the voice just completely didn't match up with the emotional level that the that the little actress was putting out there you know i felt like she was giving it her all i mean maybe maybe her all wasn't oscar worthy but i felt like she was giving it all and then there was somebody standing in a booth with headphones reading and then she thinks her dad's dead and she's really sad go and yeah. and that just you know does not bring across the same emotional level
4: yeah, in general, uh, you know, with the exception of I love the uh the older, much older dubbed versions of the Godzilla films from a, a nostalgic sense, let's just say uh I don't think that I have seen many dubbed productions that I would rather see on, you know, in in favor of the original language and subtitles.
5: Yeah, the, the voice acting itself was was not very good, and some of the script was not very good, but the the acting was fine. It's it's just the story. It's like uh, you know they they find space a space rock. rock, and they find out the regeneration formula or whatever, and and then space rock comes down and fights Godzilla. I mean, there yeah. there wasn't much more than that, and you know, and uh, uh, some of the other ones there was this cool little little story where they're dealing with the aliens i really like the ones where they're dealing with aliens and uh or they're you know doing all this cool science stuff and running around and trying to figure stuff out this one just seemed like it was they were trying to showcase their fancy new suit and uh didn't really care about the actors what what, what kind of story they were giving the actors that is
4: yeah the yeah the story i'm not really a big fan of the story but I I don't have that much of a problem. I don't have a problem with the story. It's sort of, in a sense, it's sort of typical Godzilla fare. And in a Godzilla film, I do believe that you can have a mediocre story and punch it up with good monster action and a great soundtrack and uh, good effects work. And I just kind of feel like this film didn't deliver on any of those levels. Um, Cindy, what was... What was the worst part about it for you? I mean, what's what do you take away from this say saying, "Oh man, I, I wish I wish they would redo or wish we could go back in time and redo that."
1: If they could redo uh the blue screen work, and I honestly wish they could redo the dubbing.
4: Yeah, well the again, the dubbing. So, uh just so people know, there was an original international Dub that was done uh, through Toho, I think in Hong Kong, uh, for their in- international markets. But when Sony, TriStar, got a hold of the dub, I guess somebody, I think his name is Michael Schlesinger, uh, made the decision that they were going to redub it. And while the voice acting was okay, and they at least got multiple characters to play multiple roles, <laughs> as opposed to three people doing the entire dub job for every single character in the movie, uh, which is what we see a lot in the Heisei dubs. Uh, they just, they did a lot of dialogue tweaking and wrote some really weird stuff.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, great Caesar's ghost.
4: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they were like, hey, this will be funny. It'll be a reference for Superman fans. <laughs> fans of the Daily Planet. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the, the, the dubbing, I'll agree bad, bad, bad category for the dubbing. So let's, uh, let's turn it around. Uh, Actually, before it, let's turn it around. I did want to say one specific thing, just, just for other, uh, kaiju fans out there listening in 1999, I went to G Fest and I had been, uh, through the late nineties, I'd been watching the Gamera trilogy in 1995 they came out with Gamera Guardian of the Universe. This is of course Dae Pictures, or quote rival uh, studio picture from Toho. And so ninety five came with the they came out with Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Ninety six, I think, they came out with Gamera Two, Advent of Legion. And the that production, the production for each film was just really fantastic, and each film looked even better than any of the Godzilla films had, which is a huge statement when you look at the sixties Gamera films, because they're all very, very low tech, very kiddie, and very um, low budget compared to the Godzilla stuff. And so in 1999 at G Fest, I saw Gamera three guardian of the universe and I was like completely blown away. Uh, But it was definitely something that I was kind of expecting that leap in uh, visual storytelling to uh, to go from, you know, each individual movie got better and better. And so by the time they got to the third film, it was not a surprise for it to be so amazing. <clears throat> but then what happened is, uh, what, seven months later, eight months later, they came out with Godzilla 2... 2- Toho came out with Godzilla 2000, and it was just so disappointing compared to Gamera 3. And you guys need to see the Gamera Trilogy because it is amazing. But uh, so, I mean, just to sort of pinpoint that time, like what, what they could have been doing. with, And Gamera 3 doesn't hold up as well as it did in 1999, but it still holds up a lot better than Godzilla 2000. Now that I have that off my chest, let's talk about good, some good stuff. <laughs> talk about what we liked about the film.
1: Okay, you're going to make this really hard because you mentioned Gamera. And I'm picturing Gamma versus Legion in my head, and that was such an amazing film. I love that movie.
4: But we're talking about Godzilla. Okay,
1: something good about this film. Um, I actually like the suit. I like the way it looks. I'm not sure, though. I like the way it moves. It looks so cumbersome. Um, I'm just curious how much it weighed compared to the previous suits.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that they tried. They probably tried to make those fins as light as possible, but. They're still really big.
1: Yeah, I mean, the suit looked. I thought the suit looked really good. It looks. He looks very imposing. The fins look great. It's just that when he walked, there was a lot of side to side kind of swaying motion. Mm-hmm. Kept wondering whether how hard it was on the actor.
4: Well, this is the first version of this design, and then they use this this sort of design for Godzilla X Megagirus, and then for Godzilla X, Mechagodzilla, and then Tokyo SOS as well. And each, each film, there's a revision in the suit. Uh, he was definitely more stiff in this first film than he was in Megaguirus. Like, I, I remember when I saw Godzilla X, Megaguirus, that I noticed, oh, he's moving a lot more. His head's moving, uh, his arms are moving more, and he's uh, just basically more mobile. So it gets better, but it, it was like uh, kind of like the very first Godzilla suit was like this huge, bulky thing that they had no idea what they were doing, and so when they made this big suit, um, Haru and Nakajima could barely move in
1: it. And the other thing I, I actually liked was the opening sequence with the lighthouse.
4: Oh, that was cool.
1: Yes, when you the, you know the tremor and the lighthouse keeper looks out and through the through the mist and the fog, there's a boat going by, and you're thinking, wait, he's up in the lighthouse tower. He's looking at a boat going by.
4: There's a series of uh, model kits done by a guy named Yuji Sakai, who um, he does what are called the Godzilla appearance kits, where he does a representation of Godzilla's first appearance in this movie or this movie or this movie. And uh, so as, as far as Godzilla appearances go... I do have to say that this one is a high point in the, in the entire series. One of the, one of the coolest in the entire series is when he goes by with the lighthouse with the crushed fishing boat and his maw parting the fog. It's really, really pretty cool. So I agree. What about you, Heather? Positive takeaways from this film.
2: What if my positive takeaways are the same thing that you guys already said?
4: <laughs> Too bad. Come up with something else.
2: Drat! Blast it! <laughs> um, no, I, I also, I also really, really like the suit. Um, even though I made fun of it, suggesting that he was kind of thick-necked and looked like he used to play a lot of football. Uh, it, I, I dug the neck. It was very, you know, it, it seems very reptilian and. And I and I dig them kind of kind of going in that direction with it and and uh, you know even though when, like when I asked you during the movie where the actor goes to inside uh, the where suit where the head is yeah where where, where his head, head is. actually is which I I I was fairly certain that's where it was because that's what I seem to recall from from previous viewings but I couldn't help but imagine there being a person actually completely. In the suit, even though I knew that wasn't the case, and I just kept thinking that his shoulders must. Maybe it was because my shoulder was bothering me. That I just kept thinking his shoulders must be so sore because it, Godzilla does seem very hunched in this movie, and I'm sure that's just a lot to do with the you know with the stiffness of the suit and everything. But he seems like he's bent. It might be the weight too. I mean, there might
4: be a lot more weight on this on the top half. That's too. true, but and um, it's a new suit actor this time. Yeah, Tom Kitagawa. Hmm, Tom. Uh, his I think his first name is actually Sutomo or Sutomo. I like that better. But his nickname is Tom Kitagawa.
2: Well, um, I uh, I definitely like the first appearance. I, I I liked the suit. Um, I liked the uh, I like the Godzilla prediction network. How about that? I I think that that's a that that seems like something that makes complete sense for for there to be in a, you know, in a place where Godzilla appears all the time. It, it makes sense that such a thing would exist.
4: So if I made some massive, like Godzilla prediction network stickers at work, could we put them on our cars and, and ride around town with equipment on top? And yes. Okay.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that, that made, that made a lot of sense to me and I thought that was pretty novel and, uh, and, and seemed like, seemed like an entertaining thing to bring into the movies. I agree.
5: I agree. So, uh, Part of the the uh, Godzilla costume with the it being slumped over and its uh, shoulders being kind of uh, pulled in uh, wasn't the original design for this Godzilla more towards walking on all fours and they couldn't figure out how to do it so they kept him upright. Isn't that from the documentary that we wrote? Oh, wrote watched. <laughs>
4: I am trying to remember I just looked at some concept art the other day and I don't think I saw anything where he was on all
5: fours okay I, I thought I remembered something like that from the documentary we all watched were you looking remembering the maquette that was behind one of the no directors? no okay. I, I thought I thought he was talking about how he was trying to make it more of a hunched over more of a uh, a lizard mm-hmm. looking thing and he
4: may have been talking about that and, uh, may have been
5: talking but about. but you know because of you know, how Godzilla works and the guy walking in it he couldn't do it hunched over so it's just you know leans forward more than the previous Godzillas who were a little bit more upright
4: I will have to watch that again Uh, what Justin is referring to is the documentary that is available on as a special feature I believe it's on the war of the gargantuas and rodan dvd set from classic media it's called bringing Godzilla down to size (laughs)
5: yeah uh, um i like the costume but the the thing that i've always liked about these uh godzilla movies is their underwater work i i thought that was a lot of fun i liked watching the little submarine zoom around and attach its balloons to the to the uh space rock
4: space rock yes let's go with space rock (laughs) space rock so speaking of underwater did you like the uh cgi swimming godzilla no that was no. the first time Toho had tried an all
5: CGI Godzilla. It was much better in the uh, Mecca Mega gear Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> uh,
4: so I I, uh, I I was gonna say so, no go ahead, I'll edit that out.
2: I was I was gonna say that I I I did like the swimming. I liked the. I didn't like the way he looked, but I liked the way he swam. I thought that, I thought that was that was pretty pretty good. I I, I thought that that looked like the right type of, um, way for his body to be moving yeah. underwater. So I did like that. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy the way that it looked as far as the CGI went. But that I
4: definitely dated for sure. Right,
2: but I did like I did. I, I got what I picked up what they were putting down there. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so uh, I will just kind of finish up the what what we liked about it by saying that I um I liked all the physical effects, all the practical effects, the stuff like the exploding buildings and when Godzilla was getting uh, drugged through the streets by Orga's tentacle things. I thought that was absolutely amazing. Uh, I really, I did like the way that the suit was interacting with those buildings. And, um, I was just down with that, but I was bummed that it took so long to get to that stuff in the film.
2: And by that point, it I actually was about to say, what, where'd Godzilla go in this Godzilla movie?
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. So did you guys just out of curiosity, just cause you know, we're shooting the breeze about this film. Uh, did you guys get to the point where, like when you said, where's Godzilla, in this film, uh, did you kind of feel like by the time we got to see the birth of the Orga monster, the movie was just already past this turning point And like the rest of the film is just kind of feels kind of rushed. Like there's no, there are no real big battles between Orga, the monster and Godzilla. Uh, Orga gets trashed pretty quickly, much like Biolante did in the beginning of that film. And, uh, just doesn't really prove to be a very worthy opponent uh, of the King of All Monsters. That's how I felt. That's how I took it, at least. I
2: felt a little bit like because uh, I, you know, it's been a long, it's been a long day for me. I'm sure other people in here have had long days too, but I got a little sleepy there during part of it, and I, I had kind of a feeling like. Did I actually doze off and miss something cuz did I you know like I said when I when I was wondering where uh, where Godzilla had gone to I actually was pondering did I did I miss him being semi defeated and he's going to make a glorious return or or are we just we're just really focused on the money we spent on the space rock so we're we're focusing on the space rock
4: Yeah they do. they absolutely switch Switch their attention from Godzilla to the space rock.
2: I know it's not a rock. I don't care. I'm going to continue to call uh, it a space I'm rock. Okay with that? Okay.
4: <laughs> Mother Orga. I don't know what you call that. Uh So, which you want to
2: talk about bad effects? <sighs> the birth of yeah. That was some bad CGI. Yeah, that was right like there.
4: that was like early 1980s style CGI. It's painful. I I, I know I've mentioned this before. Like, uh. And I was just listening to another podcast where they were talking about Eji Subaraya, who was um, the special effects director for the majority of the sixties films and how he really wanted to be at the forefront of film technology. And he strove to be there. And um, he actually bought like the best optical machine he could. Uh, And I think that it was one of the best in the world at the time. And uh, so that was in the 60s. And then, uh, you know, once the 70s hit, I'm not going to say anything bad about the 70s right now, but once the 70s hit and the budget started getting slashed, both for the the overall film and the special effects budget, it just, that's when Toho's special effects started really, I don't want to say slacking off or getting worse, but they just weren't keeping up with the advancements made in the rest of the world. And you can really tell that through the Heisei period and, of course, through the through the Millennium Era as well, which, of course, we just watched the first of these movies, they do get better, but they are never really up to, say, the standards in the U.S. for, for these films per year. You know, if you say, oh, well, what else was happening in 2002 when Godzilla X, Mechagodzilla came out? There's not a lot of, of competition there from, from Japan. I mean, you're really still looking at, uh, I'd say, like, third-rate CGI effects compared to what we were seeing in America. So Take that as you will, <laughs> I guess. I don't remember what we were talking about. You are tired. <laughs> so... <laughs> cindy pretty much just face palmed right there
2: sorry i i I know what you were talking about right now but i don't exactly remember what brought us to that
4: that's fine because we we do need to move on uh let's go ahead and it's my smooth uh, segue right there nice nice work
2: what's happening You,
4: you can tell that heather's a podcasting professional now uh let's talk about final thoughts uh cindy what were your final thoughts on this movie? Is this something, uh, like, I don't, I don't want to say how do you rank it compared to the other Godzilla movies, but, uh, you know, we always talk about would you, would you show this to, to another person, whether or not they were a fan?
1: If they were not a Godzilla fan, I probably wouldn't start them with this one. There's, unfortunately for me, too little monster versus monster. Like you said, it comes, you know, you have to wait till almost the end of the film to see the big monster fight. It's pretty quick. Um, there's not enough Godzilla. If you are a Godzilla fan and you for some reason haven't seen it, you know, you should probably see it just for the sake of completion. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you don't want to have that gaping hole in your mental collection, right?
1: Right. So that somebody says, hey, have you seen this? You, uh, you can you not give them that totally blank look of, "Uh oh, I think I missed one.
4: You almost could, though. I think <laughs> so. Uh, final thoughts, Heather. I-,
1: I
2: I don't think that I would show this as an example of a Godzilla film to somebody that I wanted to have become interested in the genre. It's uh, the like Cindy said. There's not enough monster monster, and the things that I enjoy about Godzilla movies are monsters fighting monsters, Godzilla bashing buildings and people running screaming from godzilla and instead we got hardly any monster monster and once again you know not a lot way more blue screen than we did godzilla smashing buildings and once again that came very far to the end when the actual building smashing happened and uh and people kind of stood and stared slack-jawed at him instead of really running the way that they, they ought to. It was a lot of hillside gaping instead of, you know, Godzilla ah! and running away, which is how I'm pretty sure you would react if you saw Godzilla
4: walking down your street. I don't know about me. I I might stay there as long as I could and then take pictures. I just pictured you throwing
2: or... yourself on his ankle and just a giant bear, you, bear, bear hug where, you know, it's like a, like a toddler wrapping around their parents ankle but you just take me with you exactly (laughs) exactly
5: (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) i'll draw that (laughs) so so most of my friends i wouldn't show this but uh you know there's there's only there's only what three guys that i can think of who i'd want to show this to is is mike tom and uh crow oh
4: (laughs) well well played sir well played
5: uh so other final thoughts justin um i it's it it wasn't i don't think it was one of the best godzilla movies i've seen like i said earlier so uh final thoughts um i can't wait for the next one to wash the palette
4: gotcha (laughs) gotcha well we need to get you guys in here to watch uh gmk anyway because you've already seen the sequel to this which is Godzilla X, Megaguirus. So having done all that, I think we're just going to go ahead and move into what the listeners had to say. All right. So Heather is going to sit here and help me with uh, with some of your homework. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start with Clyde.
2: Clyde wrote in to say that after the Gino yeah. fiasco, this movie brought the big G back into a good light. It was really great of Toho to release the movie in the States. For Clyde, it brought to mind a new version of Godzilla 1985, a dawning of a new Godzilla movie era, and the movie was respectably done by keeping the viewer interested in the subplots. The effects were on par with the previous Heisei movies. The soundtrack really helped keep the movie going and complemented the various plots of the film from start to finish. Clyde really wished that Toho would have used the Godzilla chaser angle throughout the millennium, Millennium series. All in all, he found the movie enjoyable and a great kickoff for Godzilla, returning to his Force of Nature attitude.
4: Hans notes that Godzilla 2000 is one of his favorite Godzilla films. While it's most certainly not the best, this film came out at a very crucial time and then started the Millennium series uh, in 1998. Han Solo, uh, Hans Solo. Hans. <laughs> I said Hans Solo. Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, Hans uh-huh. saw the Roland Emmerich abomination in the theaters and was crushed. Then something magical happened. He saw a commercial for Godzilla 2000. Everything he loved about the Godzilla series was coming back, atomic breath, a new monster to fight, and lots of silly voiceovers. Katagiri shouting, Godzilla! At the end of the movie cracks him up every time. When he started collecting Godzilla DVDs a few years ago, Godzilla 2000 was the first one he bought. After watching almost all of the other films, he realizes Godzilla 2000 is heavily flawed, but he still loves the hell out of it.
2: Bill wrote in that the film com- is completely forgettable. He loved the look of this Godzilla. The effects were pretty well done. The actors seemed fine, although really hard to gauge with this dub version. I totally agree, Bill. But on the whole, he found the story uninvolving. Cute kid, intrepid reporter, renegade scientist, bastard government official, all the cliches you could ever ask for in a, ca- in a cast of characters, and space aliens. Again too bad Toho couldn't have come up with a better script as the effects and look of the big fella are really the only high points. And he also asks, uh, Kyle, I don't know if you could do this, but could you speak to the budget of this movie and compare it to the Devlin Emmerich version? I think Toho got the most bang for their buck with the effects.
4: Okay. Yeah. So the first, uh, first thing I want to say is that all of these numbers pretty much come from Toho kingdom.com and you should really check out their website. Uh, because they, they do a really amazing job of sort of cataloging um, all the movies, mostly just Toho stuff. I think they have some stuff about the Gamera series in there, too. However, um, the budget for the TriStar movie was roughly $130 million. Now, something you need to keep in mind is that um, Japanese movies never, ever go that high. I mean, the, the most expensive Godzilla movie was $19.5 million dollars. And that was Godzilla Final Wars.
2: You kind of have to kind of begs the question. Why did they spend that much money on that movie? Oh,
4: on the TriStar version? yeah. Yeah, Huge. That's actually, I I mean, I think that's, that's still how they, how they do what they do. Yeah. I think that still counts as sort of a big budget movie in America, but it's still, uh, it's, I mean, that's just how we do things here in America. We have these massive numbers, massive money that's thrown into these movies.
2: Go big or go home, baby.
4: Now, Godzilla 2000's budget was about, uh, and these are all rough figures that they have on the website. It was roughly eight million three hundred thousand dollars to film. Um, now, what you should also do is is consider the other films. Um, I have numbers for the 1985, 89, 93, 94, and 95 of the Heisei films, which are the you know the ones that uh, that had Godzilla and the psychic and all that good stuff. Um, the 85 film had a six million dollar, two hundred fifty thousand dollar budget. 89, the Biolante movie, was uh, five million. Um, the 93, which was uh, Godzilla versus Mega, blech, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, it says nine million five hundred thousand. Space Godzilla was ten million three hundred thousand, and then they spent ten million on Godzilla versus Destroya. So. With the amount of money that you can see they spent towards the end of the Heisei period, they didn't even spend that on Godzilla 2000. So, in general, Toho does sort of get the most bang for their buck. Um, Because, you know, what's really important for this stuff is the box office results. And the rough figure of box office results from Japan for Godzilla 2000 was $15 So, there you go. Uh, I'm going to have you read Ron's, too.
2: Okay. Hope those numbers are what you're looking for, Bill. So Ron wrote in that Godzilla 2000 is easily one of his favorites. Everything from hearing Godzilla's first roar to seeing he and...
4: Orga. Orga. Hmm. Didn't... Yeah, they didn't name it really.
2: No. Tearing up Tokyo was so cool. The humans were funny, even though they were a bit whiny. The UFO was really nice and gave Godzilla a run for his money. The scene of Godzilla destroying part of Tokyo was awesome, even though it contradicted what a protector Godzilla was. Overall, the movie was worth the $10 to see it, and he would definitely recommend it to a new potential Godzilla fan.
4: For Josh, Godzilla 2000 holds a very special place in his heart. It wasn't just his first true Godzilla film that he saw in theaters, it was also his birthday present when turning six since the movie was released... Uh, a few days before his birthday for Josh. Uh, he just can't hate this film though. There are very many terrible CG shots, cheesy dialogue and bad green screen effects, but he loves every minute of it. Also the Godzilla suit was just amazing with all the great detail. One thing he learned when doing some background research on the film was that in the U S version, they created new music to go along with the original score that that added to the, that added more epicness in his opinion. And they also gave Godzilla some alternate roars, which include the Gino roar and gave Orga a more moan type roar. Overall, uh, he just can't help but love everything about this film. It's just one of his guilty pleasures. And I got to say, Josh, I actually did not know that about the score. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I did. I did realize that about the, the roars, though.
2: Roger says, all in all, a pretty decent Zilla flick. High on drama and short on humor, except for that guy in front of the GPN building getting his head hit. Apart from the score and some dodgy (laughs) effects, the flick is a nice start to the Millennium series. It begins pretty terrifyingly and ends with Japan in flames. What more do you want?
4: Godzilla 2000 was the first Godzilla film, not counting the 1998's Gino, ...that Jeff saw on the big screen. He had grown up watching Godzilla's adventures on TV's Creature Features, which he taped onto VHS and watched dozens of times. Eventually, the quality of those tapes degraded. Then when the Heisei series came out, he'd buy the grainy, unsubtitled bootlegs from mail-order catalogs, just like I did. Uh, So Godzilla 2000, even if it wasn't the greatest Godzilla film or even the best of the Millennium series, was a real treat for Jeff... Since then, he's been able to see a couple more on the big screening, the original Godzilla when in Japan and Godzilla Final Wars when it debuted in Los Angeles. And I was there for that, too. Uh, there's something magical about seeing a film in the theater, and that goes double for Godzilla, since he's supposed to be huge and awe-inspiring, an effect even the best home television can't really hope to deliver. Godzilla's Godzilla 2000's special effects in general were a mixed bag of good and bad CGI and in-camera effects, but that's par for the course. What Jeff really focuses on in Godzilla 2000 is the addition of a new foe, Orga. He loves the classic monsters, but what he especially likes is getting new creatures to battle Godzilla. He doesn't need yet another film with Mothra or King Ghidra. Orga was a monster that combined the good ideas with so-so execution. It certainly looks dangerous with its huge claws, furrowed brow, and snaggle teeth, Its beam weapon is quite powerful and unusual since it is set in the shoulder like some sort of organic grenade launcher. But the suit was awkward, leading to a fight that didn't have as much energy as it should have. And Orga's final gambit of swallowing Godzilla to suck his power was confusing, as was Godzilla just willingly (laughs) (laughs) sticking his head right into Orga's mouth. He'd like to see more Orga in the future, but with a suit design that allows for greater speed and mobility.
2: At that moment, I actually had a... Flash to old co- old cartoons with you know the lion and the lion tamer and the lion tamer sticking its head. So I thought maybe Godzilla had won and he was showing that you know he had bested Orga. <laughs> he, tamed, he tamed. tamed Orga. Orga yeah. yeah. See, nice. see, but then you know the power sucking started. But uh, anyway, Tim Tim wrote that Godzilla 2000 is one of the best Godzilla films since the Showa series. After the disastrous '98 American Godzilla, this film brought him back to watching Godzilla films again. He loves the Millennium Godzilla suit and enjoyed the human characters in the film. Since he owns the original Japanese version, as well as the American edition, he finds that both have their pluses and minuses. Most notably, the Japanese version film fills in the story better with... Oh. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> While the American version has the vastly... Su- My pages stuck together. While the American version has the vastly superior audio... The film, of course, is not without its faults, thinking the terrible CGI of Godzilla coming ashore during his second appearance in the film. That is something you would expect to see on a movie shown on the sci-fi channel.
4: Oh, ouch. That's that's harsh.
2: Much love for the sci-fi channel. Come on. (laughs) Overall, he thinks it's a great film and since it has no direct connection with any other Godzilla films, minus the original, is a great starter film for those who are new to the genre.
4: Scott wrote in, noting that the atomic fallout of the American Godzilla returns home. Wait, that's, what it, that's not what it says. I'm going to have to redo that. Oh, sure. Scott wrote in. <laughs> I'm not going to edit it. I'm just going to oh. do it. Scott wrote in, noting that after the uh, atomic fallout of the American version, Godzilla returns home, where he's better understood and gets treated correctly. Even out of historical context, he really enjoys this film. It has been, uh, it has the best human interactions he can think of in any Godzilla story since the original. Uh, he loves the relationships between the father and the daughter, them and the reporter, the father's perspective as Godzilla and the natural phenomenon he to be studied versus his ex-partner's idea that he must be destroyed. These are the types of viewpoints the American film needed for once he cared about the characters and was concerned for their survival. As for the big G, he loved how he destroyed and rampaged even through the end credits. It all was as mystifying... Sorry, that is not what it says. (laughs) It was all as satisfying as coming out of the hot sun for a cold glass of water in an air-conditioned room. Scott also has a question. Uh, Does anybody know if there was any subtext or added meaning to the ex-partner's speech at the end when he tells Godzilla he won in regards to what happened with the American version? Could he have been speaking as a proxy to the American producers? Uh, and I don't actually have an answer for you. I kind of looked it up a little bit and didn't really see anything about that uh, in regards to the screenwriting. I welcome any opinions on that. If you want to just, you know, email me, that's fine. I don't uh, have a good answer for you, though, so, uh, Scott. Sorry.
2: Steven wanted to mention two things. First, he's in the tank for Godzilla 2000, largely because it was the first authentic kaiju movie he saw on the big screen. The best part about the screening he attended was when the audience, unbidden, began chanting, Man in Suit! Man in Suit! It still brings a tear to his eye over a decade later. The other thing he'd like to discuss is a theory he's developed upon watching the movie again recently. Mitsu Katagiri is obviously the hero of Godzilla 2000. In fact, he's made Steven's list of top five human characters in the Godzilla saga. I'd kind of like to hear the rest of your list. Yeah. Uh, sure, they make him out to be the bad guy because he wants to kill Godzilla, but hasn't that been the motivation of just about every Godzilla character down the line? If Katagiri is a villain, then Dr. Serizawa must be history's greatest monster. Katagiri's greatest sin seems to be his willingness to detonate the city tower with Sh- Shinoda. Shinoda still in it never mind that shinoda needlessly risked his daughter's life by dragging her into such a dangerous situation or that bringing down the building could save countless lives and his actions delay that no the worst part is that the information shinoda obtains from staying in city tower doesn't even contribute to orga's defeat Katagiri is obviously in the right but what puts Kategoria ab- over the edge is when he looks straight into godzilla's fearsome mug and lights a smoke Godzilla may be inside each one of us, but he's inside Category most of all. Godzilla, I would say it might be the other way around. But
4: well, is uh, is does that mean that if he's inside of Godzilla. Category, he's Category? That's why Category smokes is to kill Godzilla.
2: Maybe, maybe that's it. Anyway, uh, he was ex- going to give him a little hot foot. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Excellent points, Stephen. Jim found Godzilla 2000 to be a very uneven movie. There are some good parts but they seem to be at either the beginning or the end with a lot of lackluster scenes in the middle. Godzilla shows up very early in the film, but then is off screen for far too long. Pacing is a serious problem and Jim found himself wishing that the monster orga had appeared much earlier in the film. One thing he did like was the portrayal of Godzilla as a force of nature. The ragtag members of the Godzilla Prediction Network reminded him of the storm chasers in the movie Twister. Overall, Godzilla 2000 wasn't a terrible film, but it wasn't great either. Fortunately, the Millennium films do get better.
2: And I would just like to point out that in our live tweeting, I I did actually make the comment that the uh, Godzilla Prediction Network was were like storm tra- chasers, but dumber. So I I I agree, Jim. I I found that I found that connection there too. I liked it.
4: Yeah. So thanks to all who submitted their homework this month. And uh, again, thank you to the drive-in mob for the co-live tweeting of Godzilla 2000. Next month, our movie will be the oh-so-silly and definitely child-demographic Gamera versus Veras. We'll be watching the Shout Factory version towards the end of the month. We'll probably live tweet this one as well, but with the regular Kaiju live tweets hashtag, I will announce the due date for your homework in the next episode. But as always, the overall rule is to email controller at kaijucast.com with your thoughts, questions, and comments on the film before the last week of the month. I think we need a little break, Heather. So we're gonna go ahead and play a song. I agree. We're gonna play <laughs> Heather's headphones just came on. Uh, came off. I said that all wrong. <laughs> it's been a long day. Uh, let's take has. a little break and play a song from Gamera versus Veras. Before jumping into the KaijuCast news, this is Gamera Destroy by Kinjiro Hirose.
0: we
3: United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan.
4: So we don't have a ton of news this month. Uh, The biggest announcement, biggest thing, um, we got two cool things. Uh, But the biggest is that on July 13th, it was announced that David Goyer is now writing the script for Legendary Pictures' Godzilla uh, thank you to everyone who wrote in and tweeted and Facebook-walled me about this. Uh, interesting information, just to sort of fill people in. David Goyer wrote Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Three Blade Films, The Unborn, and Jumper. Uh, he also wrote Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the TV movie with David uh, Hasselhoff yes. as Nick Nick Fury, yes, which is. I have seen that is not good.
2: Should not necessarily be on the list of those other well this achievements. Is, this,
4: this is the bad list, <laughs> he right. also, But he also wrote uh, the Crow City of Angels, which again, I'm I'm not a Crow fan, so I don't know if that one was good or bad. But I know that's not the first movie. This is the second one, I think. See, either the second or third one. Wow. Yeah. I I've already preempted the the statement with I'm not a Crow fan. Right. So if
2: it wasn't the first one, that I think is about the only one that really matters in the in the world of of the crow films so yeah i would say if he wrote any of the other ones then but it looks like he has grown
4: yes as as a creator this is true i mean some of his older films are definitely in the horror genre and uh that might give him some uh like a good base to make the movie kind of kind of uh frightening maybe but uh it is a big character you know i'm not sure Uh, i guess i like the idea of david goyer writing the movie a lot better than the dude who wrote the expendables right and uh the other movies that he did uh dave callahan i think is his name yeah uh so yeah hopefully
2: hopefully we won't be seeing it change hands yet again and they can move forward with the project
4: Yeah, I tell you what, if it changes hands again, it might be one of those things where they're just, you know... Shelved. It it might just get shelved because they're just trying different person after different person to to do a treatment on it. It might not just be working.
2: Not to mention the fact that they just, when they do that sort of thing, they tend to let all those people put their thumb in the pie and rewrite, and then the next person in isn't going off the original material. They're writing off of the previous writer's material. Right. And you just get such a mishmash, and you end up going into a movie that feels like it was three different people's movies and that that was pulling in all different directions yeah so. and
4: i think i think one of the articles that i read said that goyer was actually using a draft of callahan's script so who knows as soon as information is available let's hope that by
2: know. using he means flipping it over and using it as scrap paper for yeah. <laughs>
4: recycle that paper david that's right please uh but anyways you know if there's more information i'll have that information i and just to i'm gonna put this out on front street here i don't like knowing too much about movies before i go watch them it's one of those things where it's just a personal preference so he really i've seen the man turn away from
2: previews before so yeah
4: i will uh i i will share information as it is available but i probably will be staying away from the spoiler stuff
2: spoilers
4: yes uh
2: in other (laughs) news in other good news Uh, At least good news for kaiju fans with Blu-ray capabilities. On September 27th, which is also my sister's birthday, Mill Creek Entertainment will be releasing Gamera 3 on Blu-ray. Sci-Fi Japan has an article about the release. Check the show notes for that link.
4: You know, Gamera 3 is uh, definitely in my top five of all giant monster movies. Nice. Yeah. That's exciting. You have to come over and watch all three of them.
2: That's interesting. So it's... uh kind of close to your birthday too isn't it yes yes.
4: i would say someone please send it to me for my birthday but the chances are that i'm just gonna buy it (laughs) i'm like that
2: he's not a patient man
4: no no not at all (laughs) uh okay since our last episode idw publishing has released both issue five of godzilla kingdom of monsters and issue two of godzilla gangsters and goliaths here's a quick mini review for each Uh, Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters, issue five, starts off with a brand new artist, Victor Santos. And my first reading of that comic, I was really turned off by his artwork. I thought uh, it was a huge downturn from Phil Hester's artwork. But then I read it again, and I have to say, it's a little more, gives it more of an indie vibe. uh, And it's not, that's not a bad thing. Um... I will say that as much as I like Phil Hester's artwork, and I know it's I'm I'm not uh, speaking to the majority of people out there. If if you liked it and are are sort of put off by Victor Santos's work, maybe read it again. And I think he does a little bit better job of displaying his panels in a in a sort of arrangement where people can understand this the the speed the story is is going a little bit better. Now, as far as the content goes. I really, really wish that Eric Powell would start toning down on the social satire. I don't really care for the Lady Gaga jokes. I don't really care um, so much for the anti—not uh, the anti, but the extreme political views uh, being being shown. I could deal with it a little bit, but uh, I would really just rather have you know the story actually take place and and get some juxtaposition to actual characters that are going to be continuing. The good news is that the military character from the last issue is back in this issue. Uh, Now, moving on to Gangsters and Goliaths by John Lehman and uh, Alberto Ponticelli. Uh, Issue two is even better than issue one. And uh, unfortunately, we only have three more of of these issues left before this series concludes. Uh, I really, really suggest people go out and check that out. I've seen some complaints for some people about the artwork in Gangsters and Goliaths, and I just completely disagree. I think it's fantastic. So there you have it. Uh, so let's move on to local events. I don't have a sounder for that yet. <laughs> uh, geek Trivia at the Kennedy School. Hooray. Happens not this upcoming Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. Yes. Uh, and of course, at the end of the month, I think that's the 9th and the 20 something Anyway, it's mm. every other I had Tuesday. I flyer for it. Oh, really? I, did, I have not picked up a flyer for them in so long. Because it's on my calendar. Uh, anyway, every Tuesday, every other Tuesday at the Kennedy School in Portland, we do geek trivia. It's always a fantastic time. And uh, in addition to just proving your nerd metal with other geeks in the area, they give away fantastic prizes. If you are in Portland and you haven't checked it out, what are you waiting for?
2: And if you aren't in Portland, they do also have a Facebook page, which after the fact... They post the questions, not the answers. You'd have to figure those out yourself. But yeah. They do post the questions, and it is kind of fun to go back through and, and review them or share them with people that, that didn't, get to, didn't get to partake. So if, if you're not in the area, I'd suggest checking it out.
4: Yeah, I actually read those to my coworkers the next day just to see if they get any because it's fun to me to see them to see them go oh man i think i know this Uh, and august 20th if you heard at the beginning of the show there was a little sound bite for can't stop the serenity that is going to be at the hollywood theater saturday august 20th uh find the link in the show notes to their website and get your tickets is it all benefits charity yes i also wanted to uh mention the culture wedge podcast uh this is by a godzilla fan named kyle bird who does some writing for sci-fi japan and uh i kind of just stumbled across his link on the monster zero forums and checked it out he has a g-fest recap episode which i actually thoroughly enjoyed listening to and um I will have a link in the show notes to both the overall podcast blog and that specific episode if you guys want to check it out and and give him a listen.
2: Robot God Akamatsu by James Biggie and Frankie B. Washington. Uh, Those
4: sound like stage names.
2: They do a bit. They do a little bit, yeah. Robot God Akamatsu is a valentine to the super robot genre of the late 1970s and early 1980s. Giant robots and monsters attack Boston, and Robot God Akamatsu... RGA for short, is the city's only form of defense. RGA is also about the relationship between a father and his estranged son, about the abuse of power, and how far some are willing to go to see their goals met. It's a little bit Ultraman, a little bit Voltron, a little bit Force 5, and a mighty dollop of Shogun warriors. So now my question there is what portion of that is local news because that doesn't seem to be included oh
4: no this is not local so we're out of local stuff there
2: we go that was where my confusion
4: lied. (laughs) (laughs) sorry for confusing you uh yeah so we have a link in the show notes to uh i think it's like a seven page preview or something like that i i really enjoyed it well that
2: sounds awesome and i'm sorry if i read it strangely because i was just trying to figure out where that was happening in portland and how i could how i could be a part of that but that makes more sense now
4: well maybe if it comes out in paper form they'll come to portland and do a show at, at bridge city comics yay uh also i wanted to mention that another listener steven sims has a, his own uh sort of monster comic called kaiju fire and grimstone and i'll have a link in the show notes to that website where you can see a little preview for that and you know what that just about does it i are gonna <gasps> wrap up the show uh, if you found the Kaiju Cast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, feel free to point your web browser to kaijucast.com and uh, you know, be all you can be for for Godzilla through through the website. Vote in the polls. Check out the list of the Kaiju discussions. Uh, basically, just kind of see every blog posting and what's going on in Portland uh, that we link to, and uh, every single episode is is also up on the blog as well. If you want to contact me, just go ahead and send an email to controller at kaijucast.com. And uh, I do love hearing from people. And I think I'm actually caught up, totally caught up on people who have emailed me. So, huzzah. Gold star. Gold star. Uh, And, uh, yeah, next month we're going to be watching Gamera versus Varas. I have a link in the show notes to Shout Factory's website, but those are also available through other online distributors like Best Buy and Amazon and so forth. So make sure you get your homework turned in before the last week of the month. And uh, yeah, I think, that's, uh, I think that pretty much does it. I think that wraps us up. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. If you recall, the very beginning of the show, I talked about Sad Ultron using a Godzilla song. And so what we're going to do is we're going to play that song that actually is used in Sad Ultron. So we're gonna go ahead and say goodbye, or we don't say goodbye here. What do we say, Heather? We say- What do we say, We say, Jamata.
3: there's still a small group of Japanese soldiers holding out in the caves on the island, sir, but we should have them by morning.
4: The Stars and Stripes will fly over this island, too. This is the last of the Marshall Islands.
3: Next, we take the Marianas, sir. This war might finally be coming to
5: an end, Major. I certainly hope so, sir.
3: Enemy planes, sir? Impossible. No plane can fly that fast. That looked to me like it was from another planet. I have to agree, sir. It did look like it was from another planet, but... Shall we
4: report it, sir? What, that we're being invaded by little green men from outer space? Let's just keep it as our secret. You can tell your son about it when he's born, Major Spielberg. Sir, yes, sir! I will, sir.